Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you here. We're we're uh, we're gladdened to see you here in a in a difficult moment, but we're we are very glad you're here. Thank you for coming. Thank you for comfort. Thank you for the comforting of the family and and the encouragement of them. I'd, I'd like to start us out by singing the 23rd Psalm. Uh, many of you will know that. Uh, some of you will not, but you should be able to follow along. It's an old familiar tune. So we will start out by singing that after I open in prayer. Then Dr. Bill Higgins is going to read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through the end of the chapter, if you have that. And then I have a few words of encouragement for you. Uh, we have a very short time here today. I'll, I'll ask, because of the shortness of the hour, that you pay really good attention to the Word of God and take comfort from it. So let's begin with prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we are in some sense saddened to be here and in other senses very glad to be here. We thank Thee, Lord, for the reminders that Thou hast given to us of the, of the brevity of life. We thank Thee as well, Lord, that for uh, Thy people, uh, the end of this earthly life is truly not the end that there is a, a wonderful and a confident hope that we have, and that we might rest in Christ even this day. Our Father, we are so grateful for those whom Thou hast called to be here from different states, different places, that they might, that they might be here to comfort the family. Oh Lord, we pray that that comfort would be a good, a wholesome comfort. And we ask, Lord, that Thou wouldst be with us as we hear from Thy Word, as our brother reads it, and then as we hear some brief exhortation from it, that we would do as we have been directed, to receive Thy Word with faith and love, and to lay it up in our hearts, and then also to practice it in our lives. O Lord, we pray that we would always hold the truth that Thou hast set before us in Thy Word as that truth which is eminently practical and usable in our lives. We pray all these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's sing together then. Uh, those of you who know it, sing out loudly to help those who don't. The Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want. He makes me down to lie. In pastures green he leadeth me, the quiet waters by. My soul he doth restore again, and me to walk doth make within the paths of righteousness. Him for his own name's sake. Yea, though I walk 
in death's dark veil. Yet will I fear none ill, for thou art with me, and thy rod and staff me comfort still. <clears throat> My table thou hast furnished in presence of my foes. Mine thou dost with oil anoint, and my cup overflows. Goodness and mercy all my life shall surely follow me. And in God's house forevermore my dwelling place shall be. Amen. Dr. Bill. From 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 13, hear now the inspired, authoritative, inerrant word of God. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with a voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Beloved, the text that our brother has just read for us tells us several things. The first that I want to emphasize is that ignorance, being uninformed, as the translation said, is a thief. It's a thief. It robs us of our comfort. It robs us of our joy. It robs us of arresting, even at times such as this. And so the apostle knows this. And he speaks the truth that is revealed by God, not particularly accessible to the natural man. The Lord would not have the Thessalonians, nor us, ignorant. 
in such times as these, faced with the loss of our beloved brother, ignorance and unbelief is our enemy, imprisoning us in despair and loss. But in the midst of these natural feelings of loss, the apostle breaks through the midst and declares to us that while we are not without sorrow, it is a hopeful, a believing, and a confident sorrow. He divides humanity into two sorts here at the death of their loved ones and ours, those whose sorrow, whose grief is not mitigated, but is absolute. It is without remedy. It is unrelenting, the jagged edge of which is worn only somewhat smooth by the passing of time, while retaining in many places its full sharpness and vigor. But the second have a present possession, a hope, a confidence, a stay against the jagged edge of grief and loss found not in the nature of things, not in the, loved, in the love they have for their loved one, and not in their own ability to put away loss that the passing of their loved one has left, but it is a particular confidence and hope, and we're informed of that from our passage today. It's a confident hope, it's an expectation, and it is founded not on the goodness of the memory of our loved one, as good as it is. It's not founded upon some vague expectation that all men somehow will come to right or be carried to paradise in the end. No, it is founded solely upon the work of Christ and his resurrection. Beloved, by the authority of God himself speaking in his word, Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, and we believe this as certainly, perhaps even more certainly, than we believe we can recount what we had for breakfast. For God will not, does not, and cannot deceive his people. Beloved, Jesus Christ, after he had made satisfaction for sins, was buried. And having spent some of three days in the grave, rose from the dead, as the angel said, He is not here, for he is risen. Come see where the Lord was laying. This, beloved, is true. And we are counseled by the apostle here to walk by faith and not sight. And our loved ones in Christ share in that victory over death. There's another great truth in this passage laying on the surface to be taken up by a minister of the gospel, and that is that the apostle says here that our loved ones who die in the Lord, that they sleep in Jesus. There is, oh, I don't know, maybe 10 or 12 sermons in that little phrase. They sleep in Jesus. And so our bodies belong to the Lord. He keeps them in every estate of our lives. The scriptures tell us that he knits us together in the womb, that he brings us through the birth and brings us forth from our mother's womb. He preserves and sustains us throughout our lives. And when he has completed all his work in us and through us, carrying us to our old age, he brings our souls through the veil into his presence and causes our bodies, like the scripture says in many places, to sleep. Notice the word sleep. This word sleep as it pertains to death in scripture is a fitting word for this estate because like sleep it is not permanent and it looks forward one day to being wakened. But beloved we must also know that this is not an awakening that is separate from Christ. 
but is truly because of him. We sleep in Jesus. He is caring for his own, being a complete Savior. He will not lose our bodies to sin and corruption. This is a temporary estate like sleep that will come to a glorious end as the apostle goes on to describe in the passage before us. And so the Lord will bring all those who sleep in Jesus with Jesus. That is, as Christ rose and came out of the grave, so also will the bodies of all those who sleep in Jesus. They will come with him out of the grave. Now Paul, as a good pastor, pulls out all the stops in this next section. We would think that the apostle would not have to validate his own words. But listen to what he says. He says, and so this we say to you by the word of the Lord. He's pulling out the stops. He's doubling down. He's giving us every confidence that a man, a a pastor, an apostle can give. When he says that what follows is a hard pill to swallow. If anyone else told us what follows, we would not be inclined to believe him, but to doubt instead. But he says, we say this to you by the word of the Lord. This is not my word. This is the Lord's word, Paul says. He, Christ, will return. To the fear of his enemies, to the comfort and rest of his people, the angels who shouted for joy at the creation, who announced the birth of Christ, who also stood with the disciples as they watched him ascend into heaven, without fear of contradiction, they will declare also that he is returning. He will return in great power. He will return with the announcement of the heavenly angels, the archangel with the trumpet of God. And beloved, let us remember that this is the word of the Lord as fable-like and fantastic as it sounds to the unbeliever. We know that this day will come. The other solemn word the apostle has for the church is that the dead in Christ will rise and will proceed, or rise before those who remain alive at Christ's coming and are lifted up from the earth to meet the Lord in the air with those who rose from the dead. They who sleep in Jesus will wake in Him and will have priority in that day. Finally, the apostle declares that that estate, with bodies raised incorruptible, fully and forever freed from all sin and misery, in that condition we shall ever be with the Lord. There will be no more interruptions. These words are for our comfort, our confidence, and our hope. So, beloved, then, here we must exercise some governance over our souls, as the apostle has commanded us. Over our minds, wills, and affections, the apostle says that seeing this is the word of the Lord and not a cunningly devised fable, we should then receive it as true and rest upon it for our comfort. Our sorrow is tempered, it is held in check by the confident assurance that our loved one continues his conscious existence now with the Lord in light and glory in a most blessed estate, wrapped in his Savior's preserving grace and glory, fully freed from all sin and misery, the object of Christ's eternal love being one for whom he did his saving work. That great day of judgment and resurrection holds no fear for those who are here in Christ and those who have departed to be with Christ, which is far better Truly, the scriptures remind us that they hasten that judgment day. They cry out from, from under the altar, O Lord, how long? 
how long will it be? And so we who remain here on earth, we look forward as well to that very day when we too will stand before the Lord, confident in this very thing, that he which has begun here in this life a good work will bring it to its completion. And this comfort we have at the departure of our beloved Dr. Talbot, that the world, sorry, that the Lord will keep him. He will preserve him. He will bring him not only to that heavenly kingdom where he resides now, safe with his mighty Savior, but when Christ returns, that one last step in his and our redemption will indeed take place. The bodies of the just resting in their graves as in their beds, sleeping in Jesus, will rise, then united again to their souls forever. And so together we will serve the object of all our desire, the triune God, for all eternity. With glorious capabilities of enjoying God not now possessed, for as, on the Lord, for as the Lord on the sixth day fashioned the body of Adam and breathed into it the breath of life, and man became a living being, so also at that last day our Lord Jesus Christ will show himself to be a complete Savior, body and soul. He will save our bodies from the grave. He has saved our souls to himself. Those for whom he has lived sinlessly, died savingly, was buried as their surety and substitute, and rose again for their justification, and returned to glory to prepare an eternal home for them. Beloved, having done so much, will he fail in this last duty? No, he will not. He will be the victor as he always was. So while to our eyes and to our mortality... To human weakness, death seems like an invincible enemy, a mountain none can scale. We, with the apostle by the word of the Lord, can with full confidence exclaim, O death, where is thy sting? For Dr. Talbot and all who believe in Jesus Christ and are united to him, the death of the body is an enhancement of their ability to know and enjoy God. It is nothing less than an entrance in Christ into the very presence of the triune God and into a time of anticipation and waiting for their full redemption, the resurrection of their bodies, which for a while rest sleeping in Jesus. Finally then, let us not be stoic, for that would be to live a lie. We sorrow, and rightly so. Our brother's wit, his erudition, his labor, his love, his care, his encouragement, and his presence and many more things we will miss now that he has departed to be with Christ. Death as the wages of sin reminds us that our race is fallen and corrupt. These are times of sorrow, but it is not unmixed. It is only sorrow. It is not hopeless sorrow. For we have Christ, and Christ has our brother, and he will not let him go. And we believe that he, our brother, and we will rise again. We have not heard the last of all who sleep in Jesus. Let us then walk by faith and temper our sorrow with hope and rest confident in Christ's strong, saving strength. Larger Catechism, question number 85. Death being the wages of sin, why are not the righteous delivered from death, seeing all their sins? are forgiven in Christ. 
The righteous shall be delivered from death itself at the last day, and even in death are delivered from the sting and curse of it, so that although they die, yet it is out of God's love to free them perfectly from sin and misery and to make them capable of farther communion with Christ in glory, which they then enter upon. Beloved, let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, as we have come to do what the world calls pay our last respects, O Lord, we pray that this would not be our last respect, that we would honor the memory of our brother by doing what he taught us to do, to follow Christ, to follow him in even the valley of the shadow of death, as we have sung earlier, and to follow him into that goodness and mercy, into the house of the Lord, that we may dwell there forever. O Lord, grant us those comforts this day, the comfort not of, oh, this will pass in time, but the comfort of the truth of thy word, which the apostle has spoken to us by the word of the Lord. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you uh, to the family, especially from me, for the honor of being able to come and speak today. It is indeed my honor and my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Reverend. Uh, On behalf of the family, uh, I'd like to thank each and every one of you for coming out today. Uh, This does conclude our graveside services here at the cemetery. The family has uh, asked that you join them in refreshments and a celebration of life at, if you you have a memorial folder, the address and information is listed. It's us at St. Stephen's uh, Episcopal Church. That's off of uh, 540A. Again, the address is here in the the folder. If you didn't get a folder and you need one, just come see me. I've got plenty. Uh, So refreshments and reminiscing will, will follow at 1130, 1130 to one, followed by a celebration of life there at the church. And everyone is is welcomed and invited to join them. And again, this does conclude our services here. You may now dismiss. Thank you.